As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. And considering it's more than two months since any rugby has been played, it's amazing. We've still got plenty to talk about. Lord Miner's report into the salary cap scandal has recommended lots of changes. But will it also see an end to the marquee signings? Sport is back. Well, live sport, if you like German football, that is. But will rugby's own project restart mean a permanent pay cut for the players? And Gloucester are looking for a new head coach after Johan Ackerman signed up for Japan's new top league. I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me are the Times Dream Team, Alex Lowe and Owen Slot. Gentlemen, good morning. Uh, the mandatory questions. How are you doing in lockdown? I can see uh, Alex has decided to cultivate that beard of his um, and given me some running competition. I'd even say it's, it's, uh, it's taken gold medal. How's lockdown, Alex? Yeah, lots your beard's all right. My, my beard trimmers have been used only to shave a, a lockdown mohawk into my son's hair, um, which he was very proud of. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, I did watch a bit of the German football, actually, on, on the weekend with, with my kids, just for a little kind of injection of live sport. But I found it quite, it was an odd experience and a bit underwhelming, actually. And I think um, we'll probably talk about it in a bit, but I would imagine Premiership Rugby will look at that these matches being played behind closed doors and, and wonder quite whether it's the experience that, that we all want. But um, probably more of that to come. Well, listen, full marks for that beer. You look like you're auditioning for a role at Exeter Chiefs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, what, just interestingly, what German football team did you decide to support this weekend? Uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, make, before they won 4-0, not afterwards. Does that make you a Liverpool fan as well then? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> And, and Owen, uh, we'll talk about the live sport in a minute. It was interesting. You could hear absolutely every word the players were saying. And just, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure in rugby, we're, we're going to have to be apologising every two seconds um, for the, for the colour of the language if, um, if we don't get some special effects or some, uh, some fan stadium noise. But um, how is uh, lockdown in the slot household? Well, since I've been described as part of a dream team, it's got a lot better. So I'm still reeling from that, um, Lawrence. That's so kind of you. Saturday, the um, Slot family did 12, a 12 hour cycle marathon on our, um, on our turbo bike, Lawrence. Oh, well done. Uh, 12 hours worth of um, spinning classes from, from our local studio and part of a, um, 
part of a fundraiser that raised uh, ten thousand pounds, um, which will go to hopefully a holiday next year or something. Sorry, NHS. <laughs> <laughs> so that that that, that was, gave us a, a nice yeah. sort of focus because I'm sure, like everyone else, the um, mm. one of the uh, frustrations is that days and weekends and, and weeks and months seem, just seem to roll into one. So you so you need every now and again something like um, a birthday party, an excuse to. To, to drink too much or uh, or, or some, something else different to to, to sort of have, look forward to or, or, or give a bit of structure to your life. Well, well done on the uh, on the cycling. That's a magnificent effort. Did you allow the the first live sport to to drift by you at the weekend, or did you manage to get, catch a glimpse of any football just to see what it might what it might start to look like in this new weird world that we're living in? No, I actually missed the football partly because I was on that bloody turbo bike, but also we hadn't found a window to watch the last um, uh, or the latest two episodes of The Last Dance, which uh, has uh, transfixed the, the slot family um, by the sound of things, like always everyone else on the planet. So, um, so yeah, so so that that was our distraction. So I haven't watched any um, any of this sort of weird, quiet, uh, rather sweary live sports. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I, I will be onto it pretty soon because, like everyone else, I I do miss it intensely. Well, I, I guess like <clears throat> for all of us, the uh, the prospect of live sport being on the back burner for a few months is quite welcome relief for all of our uh, all of our families. Uh, I should imagine. Did you, did you get that email, uh, Alex? I bet you got it, Lawrence. You probably they don't probably waste emails like this on on you from some company doing a, a Mario Kart thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, so there's a there's a televised Mario Kart off, and um, mm. and Anthony Watson is uh is performing for for rugby, and and he's taking on um, um amongst others Tyrone Mings and um the two uh, the two lovers from from normal people, Daisy Edgar Jones and um Paul what's his face? Yeah, come on, what's his? I'm just gonna fill in the gap there. Anyway. Sounds sounds electric uh, viewing to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it might well be electric cars, are they? I mean, uh, no, I didn't get that, but I did. Paul see Paul, Paul Meskell is the guy. Oh, yeah. Tom the, the, the guy for the guy with the um, the silver necklace <clears throat> that everyone's so excited about. Well, Have you got a silver necklace yet, Lawrence? Well, uh, no, but talking about good watch, normal people is. Uh, it's got spectacular reviews, so that's uh, that's next on the list. My my wife and daughter have been watching it sobbing, so uh, I guess I I have to join the party at some point. It does sort of um, test the, the 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 feminine side of your character. It's definitely one for the girls and and not the uh, not the, the lads, which is presumably why I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> right, well we should move on to some rugby. Really, I guess um, we've got no live action to discuss, but we we might have the imminent prospect of rugby project restart coming uh, up on the agenda but but the big news which both of you broke and commented on throughout the week was of course the uh, the long-awaited salary cap report I guess Alex um, I'm going to start with you because you wrote what appeared to be the first five pages of my times read last <laughs> last week God knows how long that took you to uh, to gather all that information and, and put it into something that that, that uh, everyone could understand but well done for that it takes it a long time to put it into words that everyone can understand <laughs> well well certainly I mean I guess the um, you know the clubs who I mean just picking out some of the headlines the clubs who breach the salary cap in the future should should face a punishment that, that fits the crime including possible stripping of titles and suspensions which was a uh, pretty strong language indeed other recommendations included a stronger uh, you know investigation powers making prem rugby a, you know 
club execs, players, big word there, and agents more accountable. And finally, Lord Miner said it's important that my recommendations should be viewed as a package of measures, which if taken together will go a long way to restoring, uh, restoring the integrity of the regulations. I mean, that's pretty punchy stuff, that pretty hard hitting. Were you surprised by the extent to which he came out with this report? I was pleasantly surprised. I think I say pleasantly because we've just got used to salary cap subjects being fudged, brushed under the carpet, not really dealt with openly and, and properly. And for once, it has been. And Premiership Rugby's entire salary cap structure was absolutely savaged by Lord Miners. There's a paragraph in it quite near the top where he says, there are some things that work well, and he names two. And then for the next 55 pages, he goes on and absolutely slates everything that's been in place and, and tries to address all the things that have gone wrong, not just the loopholes or, or the opportunities that Saracens exploited to allow them to, to, to strike deals with their players. But one of, one of the key areas I thought was was actually just a, you know, a savaging of the governance of, of the salary cap and how the clubs have been allowed for many years to, to undermine sort of fair judicial process. And we saw it in the Saracens case where the independent panel came to the decision that it was a fine of 35 points. The clubs then superseded that and, and went to Saracens and forced them into a position where they, they were to choose to open their books for an audit or relegation, and, and, the, clubs chose rele- and the club chose relegation. So we had a situation where the clubs, in, in the words of Lord Miners, were acting as, as judge and jury. We've seen that previously with other potential cases of salary cap breaches, which have never made a disciplinary hearing because a quiet, quiet deal has been done in a, in a dark boardroom. Lord Miners has blown all that apart and says the whole process has to now be independent, transparent, and, and everyone has to take much greater responsibility. And, and there's, there's, there's some controversy about the players being, being told to submit more detail, but they're, they're now uh, under, have a lot more responsibility to make sure that whatever they earn is legitimate within the salary cap. Directors of rugby now face suspensions. Owners of clubs would have to go through a, um, a fit and proper person's test and could easily be ejected uh, from, from their club and the club put into, into in, being run by, by other measures. Premiership Rugby itself has been slated for the secrecy with which it's tried to go about all of its salary cap dealings, and, and that has led to incredibly bad press. And ultimately, the lack of trust that Lord Miners, that you just quoted Lord Miners talking about there, there's no faith and no trust in the salary cap process. And quite pleasingly, as I said at the start, all of that was laid bare. We have to stress that those um, that Lord Miner's report is recommendations only. And uh, Owen, I, I believe that quite a high number is it? Is it ten out of thirteen clubs have to um, you know have to give the green light to sanction those recommendations? Uh, yeah, sure. that's right. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, it feels to me, without wishing to point the finger entirely at Saracens because there is there's been a lot that's gone on um in the salary cap for a number of years but a lot of the um a lot of the recommendations would be veiled swiped back at at the you know at Saracens to say well you know did your director of rugby know anything about what was going on well if he didn't in the future they certainly do need to know you know did your were your players aware of of what salaries they'd entered into well they're claiming they didn't but if they did, they need to. So, you know, it's, do, do you think he, he's, any, he's missed anything in this report? There was definitely, a, it, it felt like you said, Lawrence, a kind of, a bit of a, a swipe at Saracen saying, you know, if this had gone on before, then, then pretty much everyone in the club would, um, 
would be in the dock. So, so that amused me. I am told that there's a club's meeting either Wednesday or Thursday, uh, and that's going to be discussed. And I think there's quite a lot of high expectation that it will be voted in um, or, uh, on block, um, so therefore by the end of the week, which would be a pretty positive sign. Mm-hmm. I also know that I was told that um, Saracens were given the nod that this was going to come out, or, or they were told immediately it did come out. And I think I think there was some kind of hope or expectation that maybe Saracens would write a statement saying we've seen the miners' report and we think it's great and this is what we need and we're going to and we're going to we're going to go fully endorse it. And um, actually, all there's been is complete silence. So, um, so anyway, I'm sure they'll get round to uh, giving it their blessing and saying that uh, this is what they need. There is just on Lawrence's point. There is um, a new element of independence. Uh, well, first of all, he's strengthened the salary cap office at Premiership Rugby. So he's he's recommending that instead of it just being uh, Andrew Rogers on his own, it, he would now have a deputy and a permanent data analyst um, to strengthen that office, plus giving them permanent unfettered access to salary cap files of all the clubs. But there's also he's also recommending an independent cap governance monitor, which isn't that sounds like a fun job, doesn't it? Yeah, for someone. <laughs> just, imagine, just imagine telling your mates that, that that's your job title. <laughs> for someone of, of, of high legal background, it's just to try and create a gap between the sort of investigatory process and the disciplinary process, <laughs> and and to, and to give some some independent monitoring of <laughs> of the case. So it's not a wholly independent body that's going to be investigating salary caps from now on. But he has. He has tried to um, introduce an element of independence that that wasn't previously there. Yeah, listen. I mean, I think it's a it's a very very powerful report, and I think everyone in rugby union and and in many other sports would 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 welcome it. It just seems a a touch, if if not hugely ironic, that the uh, that the salary cap has been going up and up and up and up, and we get to the point where the COVID crisis um, now. Is, uh, has made club owners and, and, and sport right across the world think very differently about pay structures. And we could potentially, you know, in the, in the weeks that we could potentially see the, the salary cap going back down again, we've now, we've now got this report published, which, uh, which does make you sort of uh, smile, you know, with a, with a little bit of a wry smile. But just on that, Owen, you, you, you obviously uh, broke the story this morning, in fact, around thinking that the 25% pay cut that's been... Um, taken on board by across all the uh, all the premiership clubs m- might end up being something more permanent i mean i guess that's just the financial pressures really coming you know bear- bearing down on, on all of these clubs at the moment that's definitely the direction of travel and the, the clubs have started to talk about it between themselves and i think think it's probably going to come up uh, as i say when there's, there's this clubs meeting this week but inevitable i suppose isn't it as you as we we you know we all know that the the numbers are that there's there's no revenue so what do you do you've got to you've, you've got to cut, cut your cloth it it's it's just um when you think that the 25 percent temporary pay cut that was brought in that didn't go down too well with the players no. So I think if they're going to try and do this on a permanent basis, which is basically, you know, these players have all got contracts. So legally, they, you know, they've got a right. If they want to try and do this on a full-time basis, the clubs have got to improve their, their method of delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Probably should get Damien Hopley in and work with him yeah. right from the start and, and do it in a proper professional way rather than just announce the players, sorry, you're a... You're uh, rather a lot poorer t- tomorrow than you. Than yeah, you are I think today. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think the clubs collectively have now acknowledged that actually, uh, when they 
initially um, installed this 25% uh, pay cut or announced it to the players that they, I think they've admitted now that they should have consulted the RPA uh, right from the outset. And I think that caused a lot of uh, confusion amongst the players. It, it caused a lot of criticism towards Damien Hopley and the RPA because players felt that they should have been doing a better job, but they actually just weren't consulted in the first place. Um, one of the other interesting elements on this subject in the, in the Lord Miners report uh, was his analysis of, of the marquee players and the impact that they've had on, on the escalation of salaries. And um, I think we all feel that the salary cap is going to go down. There are different structures, different ways of doing it, but it looks like the, the, the marquee players will probably be phased out so you could have Semi Radradra, for example, at Bristol being the last, the last of the influx of, of specific marquee players. Obviously, we all know whose, whose salaries sit outside the salary cap. Lord Miners looked at, at, presented some really interesting numbers around the first marquee player came in, I think, 2012. The following year in the Premiership, there were only five players who earned £300,000 or more. The, the year after that, the second uh, marquee player was introduced. This season... So, what, five years later, six years later, there are 99 players earning 300 grand or more in the Premiership. The top 24 players in the league earn £14 million between them. And so that's, that's sharp salary escalation. But interestingly, he also published the amount of money that the clubs are now earning from PRL and the RFU, and that has shot up as well. So I think, I think it's risen by something like, I'd have to go back and check the figures, something like £30 million Mm. Over that over that same period, and yet all of them, bar Exeter, are making a loss, uh, and so it's very clear that the, the influx of cash the clubs have had from PRL and the RFU, and the arrival of marquee players, has just meant that extra money has been swallowed up in in player salaries, and and he's he's recommending a, a, an urgent review of that again, as you say, Lawrence, the horse on that has probably bolted already because of because of the pandemic, but um, he's obviously had to act as if that as if that hadn't happened. Yeah. Um, he's urging a review of the, of the marquee player system and, and it feels like that's going to happen anyway. Lawrence, do you feel that this, this is kind of a, a, a massive crossroads for the game? Because until three months ago, Premiership Rugby was supposed to be turbo-boosted by CVC's money. Mm. The marketing of it was going to go up. And, and you know, Semiran Dredger was like, oh, this is the most exciting new superstar that's arrived. And we all know that CVC had a view that, that, that um, the Premiership could be kind of a version, you know, rugby's version of the Premier League with lots of stars from around the world. And all of a sudden, we, we, we're, we're suddenly saying, and, and, and we just have to acknowledge, no one's at fault here, suddenly saying, well, as, as Alex said, Semiran Dredger might, might be the last. Um, you know, those players are now going to be in, by the looks of things, are now going to be going to France or, or Japan, more to Japan than anywhere else by the sound of it. So is this a, a bad direction or just a, a, there's no other direction for, for premierships going? Well, it's, I mean, it's a very good point you make. I think what COVID crisis has, has made rugby realise probably more now than ever in its history is just that the economics were totally broken quite frankly and uh, and also very fragile um, and I think you know every single sport not just rugby is now been thrown you know on the into this moment of of, of inflection reflection uh, about whether the economics of the sport itself you know when we were listening to um, Bill Sweeney and uh, Tom Harrison and Rick Parry um, talking to the you know DCMS on on Parliament question time last week 
you know, to, to hear Rick Parry saying that the, uh, the, the EFL, you know, all the football below the Premier League, 106% of, of turnover was spent on player wages. You know, it sort of made you wince, really, and, and just think, well, how can that exist? And each, each um, club in the, um, in the championship, football championship, is, is funded to the tune of about £11 million per season by the owners of that club. And in, in the words of Rick Perry, that's an expensive lottery ticket. And he, he's quite right. And I think in rugby, there's so much... In, the sport's only been professional for such a short period of time, relatively. And uh, really, what rugby needed right at the outset was a massive injection of cash to really upgrade so many different things the sport needed. You know, this, this, the right stadiums, the right infrastructures, the right support systems. And... And unfortunately, you know, that didn't necessarily happen. And you've got to agree that the game has been living probably beyond its means for, for quite some time. I just think there's a really interesting... Rugby's at a point where it could look at other sports, look at Japan, the contraction of Super Rugby, NFL, fewer matches, bigger events. And if you commercialise it well, then maybe the players don't have to take a massive cut. But uh, I just think, talk about a crossroads, Slotty, that feels like all those things are, are connected and... and English rugby can find an answer because I think we've got to a point where a lot of people agree that the less is more outlook is, is, should be the future for the English club game. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. talk to uh, both of you about Operation Restart. The, uh, the question I've probably been asked uh, an awful lot over the last couple of weeks is when and you know if and how are we going to see any professional rugby back on, the, on our TV screens, any live sport. We've, we've seen this weekend the, uh, the start of the, you know, the, the restart of the Bundesliga and it's pretty clear that it's a very different type of um, product than it was you know before we we know that with the face masks and only a certain number of people in the stadium and no celebrating goals etc etc I know that Premier Rugby have targeted the uh, beginning of July I think the first weekend of July for their operation restart both of you do you think that's realistic is it realistic start of June I don't think so having initially gone on record in one of the very few things he's ever said publicly Darren Childs declared that he wanted rugby to be the first sport back on television, which was a, a pretty crass thing to say at the time that he said it, since when he hasn't uttered a single word in public. I don't think now that's the, that's the mindset at all. I think that all, the, all the, to the mood music from PRL and the RFU is that they're going to take their time over this. I think they are, it feels to me like they're looking at football to have all the tough arguments and make all the tough decisions so football can work out the way it can get back to playing in this country and then rugby can, can adapt that blueprint for themselves. I think rugby's got a much longer pre-season period that's required. It's interesting, I saw a, a stat on Twitter, which I'm now going to misquote, I can't quite remember it. There was something like there were six or eight uh, muscle injuries in the Bundesliga over the weekend because the players just weren't quite conditioned to, to playing at the pace because, for obvious reasons. Rugby, with its collision element, has to be ready. So that's going to delay it. I think Matt Bradford, the England forwards coach, when he spoke to us, talked about six weeks. So, so any, as soon as they decide to come back, there's a six-week delay. There's still no decision on, on who's buying all the tests for the league. 
PRL hasn't hasn't placed a, a bulk order like the Premier League did. It just feels like the the, the season is a long way off from yeah. starting, and I, I don't think the start of July is is a, is any longer a realistic return. I mean, I mean, Owen, the you know, the, there's no doubt getting players together and and training in a sort of socially distanced environment is is kind of phase one. <coughs> I don't think anyone's going to struggle too much with with that particular part of it, but but rugby's so kind of unique you know in terms of its uh, contacts that surely it, it's uh, it's going to be a few weeks off yet and, and maybe looking at what what's happening in other sports before it can it can you know fully get things back out on the pitch well you would have thought so but i was told yesterday by someone very high up in in these things the sort of person you'd expect me to spend my time talking to um, <laughs> that, that um that the clubs reckon that they can get back to playing uh, with only four weeks on the training paddock now that goes counter to everything that that we've sort of been um, told beforehand. So we'll have to see see if they can really do that. But I was told that that was that was that was something the clubs reckon they could do, which means that they've got this week to talk about it. And um, then if they if they're back into they're back into training next week, then you know then maybe that first weekend in July is feasible. For for me, if there's if there's a problem, I I think it's the, the cost of the whole thing. I mean, they haven't, as, as Alex said, they haven't bought. And bought any testing process in yet, and uh, and the reason that that a lot of sports not coming back, like say League Two in the uh, in football and the uh, women's football leagues, probably um, not going to not going to complete its season, it's because they looked at the numbers and gone, blimey, you know, have you seen how much it costs to, to produce testing? Let's just let's just forget it and come back and come back later. So I reckon they've got a, a fair bit of work to do on the on the money side of things. We we all know that they they want to finish the season for financial reasons, yeah. not. Not for sporting reasons. Sporting reasons don't really matter. You can void a season as other leagues have proven. So the the drive for Premiership Rugby to return to the field is is to fulfil its broadcasting deals. Mm. So you know if, if you're watching these games behind closed doors on TV in that context, there's a real danger. It just feels like it's just clinical and being done for the money. Yeah. And how do you? I saw Nick Mullins, your BT colleague, just like, tweeting yesterday about ideas to to make it an appealing product for yeah. for the paying spectator on, on TV. How, how do you make it feel like it matters in a sporting perspective, which is what's important to the viewer, when we all know that it's coming back just for financial reasons? And I say, it's, it's not quite that straightforward, is it? I mean, someone still wants to win the league and, some, and they still want to get into the playoffs and challenge for it. I mean, it's not just a, a financial <clears throat> transaction, is it? Well, I think as most leagues, have, or lots of leagues have proven that whether you win a league at the moment, it really isn't as important as keeping everyone safe. And I think if... Correct, correct. Yeah, so correct. so I, I think there are lots of leagues, as you've just, just you just outlined something, who are quite prepared to, to just call it quits for, for this season and, and start again. I, I, I'm suggesting that the driver behind this is not to find a winner for an interrupted season, which, by the way, has already been undermined by the Saracen saga. I, I'm suggesting the driver is not about who wins the league, but about trying to fulfil a broadcasting contract. Broadcast innovation too, like you could, you know, and there's been lots of pieces written on it and Twitter debates and stuff. I mean, Nick Mullins was saying, should BT pipe in crowd noise to make it feel like it's it's being played in front of a bigger crowd? Should could you mic up players? Could you interview conduct more interviews through the game? I think maybe you should draw the line at what Seoul FC have been caught doing, which is they tried to fill the stadium with mannequins. But ended up buying a, a whole batch of sex dolls 
and I've had to apologise to everyone for <laughs> for having sex dolls for filling up the stadium. You're right. I mean, the uh, you know, as a, as a broadcaster of Premiership rugby, it, it did concern me that we would have to be apologising to the fans every every. Uh, every 15 seconds for the uh, slightly colourful language that might be uh, overheard on the player mics if there was no fans in the stadium. Joe Marlow will enjoy it though, he's got 80 minutes of being able to entertain all the, all the viewers back home. <laughs> well it might be better than the commentary quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Another story that's hit uh, the news last weekend is a um, bit of a surprise really, the, the departure of uh, relatively uh, new head coach uh, Johan Ackerman uh, who's agreed to join uh, Docomo Red Hurricanes in the Japanese Rugby League. That well-known team. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not even sure he knew who they were when they approached him. Do, um, do we know where in Japan they are? Does he know, actually? Uh, <laughs> well, it doesn't really matter to us, but it might, it might well matter to him. I mean, it, I guess um, in this new world, if I can call it that, you know, departures and arrivals, well, arrivals will be limited. Departures we shouldn't be surprised by, but... Um, for someone who brought relative stability to Gloucester Rugby Club and an opportunity to challenge at the at the top of the what did they finish fourth you know last season their curve was certainly heading upwards. I mean, obviously results have been disappointing in this particular campaign, but maybe the World Cup had something to do with that. Alex, are you are you surprised? I mean, Stuart Barnes uh, has written a piece in the in the paper today in the Times around you know maybe Gloucester were looking to to offload a high earner off the payroll and maybe relationships were broken down and maybe they'll look internally for his replacement. Were you surprised by this news about this departure? So on the face of it, I I was because I felt that he turned the club around and as you say, he'd got them going in the right direction. But the more you look into it, the more you hear about it, the more you realise it hadn't become the happiest of ships. I think financial element is probably really important here. Gloucester, I I think I might say with the first club to dock the players, their money, or at least come out and say that they've done it. He did it within about three minutes of, of anyone yeah. agreeing it might be a possibility. Someone yeah. said, maybe we can dock the players to like 25%. Within a minute, they, they, they'd carried it out. They, they went extremely quickly and it wasn't very and, and also rumours that they are one of two or three premiership clubs that are pushing <coughs> further reduction of that uh, of that salary to maybe 50%. So you, you do feel, Alex, that there is some financial constraints that might be part of this decision as well that, that make it a much more convenient decision at this moment in time. Yeah, circumstance is very different. But obviously, you know, Wasps have restructured their management team and it's, it's, a, much, it's a much cheaper management team now than it was. And it's restructured with, with different responsibilities. And by doing this, I imagine Gloucester can do the same and, and save, save some money there. You know, it's a shame. I thought he'd done. I thought he'd done really well for Gloucester, and he'd recruited well with the help of David Humphreys. You know, they got Johnny May going back. You know, they were they were a club on the rise, but you know, there, there could be any number of factors here, and it feels like there's probably an element of all of these that, that there was some disgruntlement kind of within the, the, the setup. There's there are financial pressures, and you know, I'm sure the offer to move to Osaka. Uh, which is where the Hurricanes are based, I've just checked. It was probably quite lucrative for him. So I, I think all of those factors have combined to, to Gloucester making this change. And we wait and see who takes over. I mean, I, I'd say Rory Teague, particularly if it's a financial decision, Rory Teague is probably in, in a strong position to... I can tell you, I can tell you from my own experience of, uh, of being involved in the, in the Wasps process that uh, sometimes these decisions are when a director of rugby leaves a club and then um, you know, everyone comes out very quickly and says, well, we're drawing up a, uh, 
you know, a short list of candidates. Um, it's interesting when you sit down in a room and you, and you, and you look at those candidates, you know, sometimes you're, you know, there's a couple of names that stick out and you, and you, and that grab you and you think, yes, they, they could, they could be a good fit for the club, but more often than not, it's, it's the same names that are banded around and it's quite underwhelming, quite frankly. And I, th- I think um, it's easy to point to the financial constraints that, that the coronavirus has, uh, has brought upon everyone to, to say that that's the reason why um, we're making this or that decision. But the reality is that very few people that are in a job at the moment where they've got stability um, and they, they feel like they're in, in a good place are going to up sticks and leave and come to an environment which quite frankly, at the moment, doesn't look terribly stable, as in the whole of Premiership Rugby. So I think you're limited in terms of the choices you can make. And that's not an excuse for, for Was signing Lee Blackett because he'd done a fantastic job. But actually, if you feel that, you, that, the, that the man that you really want or the woman that you really want to run your rugby club is, is not on your list of candidates and is not willing to move from the club or, or the place that they are currently, then you're not going to rush into an appointment because you're just going to be faced with a football dilemma of making the same decision six months or a year later. So uh, it'd be fascinating. Um, Owen, uh, Rory Teague is, is a name that's been discussed by, by Stuart Barnes. He was disappointed that he didn't see Jake White on the shortlist of candidates, actually, because he seems to um, seems to be on every other job. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, I, I read that. that. That was so gently sarcastic from Barnsley. I reckon yeah. that that went over some people's heads. But yeah, whenever there's a job that comes up, you, you know that Jake White's uh, hat is, is, will have been lobbed in the ring by someone. A couple of things. So um, th- this club that we never heard of is in Osaka, isn't it? Which um, you just said that, Alex. And Osaka is that city which has had that magnificent outdoor evening food market didn't it that we hardly got to during the world cup yeah. so so that, so that would be a good reason for Ackerman to, to leave and, and and maybe you know when money starts pouring back into newspapers we can make a, a visit over there to go and see him. <laughs> so from that point of view i'm i'm all in favor did you not have a day trip to osaka i went to see uh i went to see a game there but i, I didn't have oh i sorry i know what you're saying this is <laughs> I'm going to back out of that conversation. I had a bad experience in Osaka. I had a great experience in Osaka, but on my, on my way home from Osaka, I fell asleep on the train. And worked, worked <laughs> which, uh, which, if you fall asleep on a bullet train, can have quite dire consequences, can't yeah. it? Really? Well, I, I woke up something like 100 kilometres away from where my hotel was, and it was <laughs> half one in the morning. So that wasn't my... That was, that was, <laughs> was there, was there um, anything foul at play here? Was there any alcohol involved? Or was it uh, purely there, just your fatigue from being worked to the bone? Right, okay, well You've absolutely got me here, boys. And there was some 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 drinking had been done, but it was it was still quite early into our World Cup, and so I'm I'm blaming it more on the um on the jet lag. But yeah, so I'd like to go back to Osaka again. Yeah, Sorry, right. man. How do you turn off? My kids are trying to FaceTime each other, and that just came through on my. <laughs> well, they're probably wondering that it's probably about time, Alex, for your um for your sort of. W- Weekly Joe Wicks training session, isn't it? I mean, yeah, uh, yeah I'm gonna put them through some hell for half an hour. <laughs> and myself, more likely. Lawrence, well, while we're on the subject of Alex, this is this this is can only be heard, so no one can see. But when he puts his hand through his hair like that, I mean, his barnet is extraordinary. <laughs> well, listen, listen. That is, he's got a there's, a there's a lot up there. That's all, there there all over at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a yeah. thing of my dream. That's a thing of your dreams and my dreams, lost it, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, is your laptop falling down? Because I'm just seeing your forehead at the moment. Which is oh, a... Sorry, I was trying to, <laughs> trying to show you my hair. I'm trying to grow a fringe, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> any other any other business, chaps? I mean, what can you? Um, I mean, obviously, we've discussed the main topics for for rugby, which is the uh, the salary cap report, the miners' report, and Operation Restart. I mean, uh, 
any, any, can you see anything uh, else that's going to throw your lives into chaos over the next week? Um, another, another big story. I mean, this is the season that keeps on giving, as we said, right oh. from the outset, really, from the World <laughs> Cup in Japan. The, the stories that, that have been coming for, for Rugby Union are, are just quite extraordinary, really, if we think about it. Um, you know, the Saracens and, and, and everything else that was going on across rugby. Then now this you know, pandemic, you know. I think maybe, um, maybe the, 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 the new global calendar structured seasonal, whatever you want to call it, that, that, that there's people working away quite hard on that. And you, you keep hearing stuff, you know, it was mooted that Bill Beaumont said the Six Nations won't change. And within about a week, it was being reported that Six Nations might be moved. Would, would could rugby ever become a summer game in, in, in England professionally? That's sort of, um, mm. that, that might be a conversation that, that will come up. Um, because you know people are uh, fiddling around with, with that with that side of things. I mean, I hate to be, I hate to be, I'd hate to see this, by the way. But uh, I guess the next big story might could possibly be that one club just throws the towel in and's had enough. I mean, just can't afford financially to keep going with the with with what we're seeing here. You know, we're we're talking about pay cuts and contracts, and players have got contracts, but really the contracts are only worth the paper that they're written on in the sense that, you know, if the club can't afford to pay them, then it doesn't really matter. So, you know, as I said, I'd hate to see that, but the longer we, you know, we've been what, nine weeks now, eight, nine weeks of, 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 uh, of no live sport, no live rugby, you know, if this continues, you know, just the, the speculation around the financial state of the clubs is one thing, but uh, the reality is, is quite another. And uh, there's only so many um, pots of money you can go and seek really. And I suppose, uh, you know, we, we could see one, even two clubs just, just say, look, we've had enough of this and we can't cope anymore. Yeah, and that, that's why it's so important to the clubs and to the league that they do continue the season. But on the same, on the same, by the same token, that there's, there's still uncertainty whether that's possible. And if you talk around the league, people have different levels of confidence about whether they can get back at all. Yeah. Um, certainly international rugby, there's an acceptance at World Rugby that there may be no test matches played this year maybe and but at club level that that level of uncertainty is it must be really hard to bear if you're trying to manage a club that's was already you know already struggling financially now there's been no income you still have to pay a certain amount of salaries to uh, to all staff that's why there's an urgency to try and get the get the uh, get the league started again because we don't want to see any clubs go to the wall any jobs lost it's it's hard enough as it is at the moment without that happening. And, and they say that you, you learn a lot about yourself and about the people around you in a crisis. Um, and it is, you do feel that that word confidence, Alex, as you mentioned, is, is key. We haven't heard anything from Premier Rugby for quite some time now. And, you know, if as a fan of the game myself, you know, you feel that you know, the next few days and weeks, it would be great for the, for the people that are running our game to to give us a little bit of uh, confidence in something, you know, something I think, to hang I think, on to. I think we'll hear from them by the end of the week. I think, I think by the end of the week, they'll, they'll want to have put out a restart plan and tell people what the hell's going on. You see, that's why you win all the awards, Owen, because you're right on it, aren't you? You just, you, you know, just when I needed that little confidence boost, you, you've come out there and told me that we'll hear something by the end of the week. So Thanks that, Lawrence. We're, we're we'll, going to hold we'll, you. We'll regather next week when, you, when I'm proven to be completely wrong. <laughs> we're going to hold you to that. And uh, in the meantime, I'm keeping Arthur, a.k.a. Alex Lowe, away from his, um, his, his daily exercise routine. Carry on chatting for as long as you like, Lawrence. You've got, you've got um, Slotty, it looks like you've got a, um, a fringe appointment with your in-house barber. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, I won't have an appointment with a fringe, but I need about another three months of lockdown before it looks uh, like a fringe. Well, gentlemen, as always, it's been uh, an absolutely uh, fascinating 
hour or so. But listen, my thanks <laughs> to uh, Owen Slot and to Alex Lowe. We will continue to make the ruck every Monday for as long as we can. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll be back next week. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 